0: Ranking review. Ranking review. Six. Six. Five. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Hello and welcome to the 102nd episode of Ranking Review you found your way to the worst episode ever. Yes, my friend Susie Cook and I are going to look at six critically derided motion pictures. Six films that did not meet the expectations of either critics or the audience. Maybe they get a second chance. Maybe maybe the reputation isn't earned. Who knows? But we're going to have to figure out a way to rank them, and they can't all be in, la- in last place. Please prepare yourself for the fact that there will be coarse language and there will be spoilers for these six movies. That's assuming it's possible to spoil these six movies. Other than that, enjoy episode 102 of Rankin Review. So, I have Susie Cook in my new basement. Yay! My less creepy basement, but more echoey basement. But we're, we're taking steps to battle this. Um, thank you for coming back to the show yet again. And uh, you said, I got a message from you months ago saying, I'm ready to do another episode. I feel like scrapping. which i thought was funny because you hadn't even picked the episode yet it was just like default well we're gonna scrap about something (laughs) so then you decided on the episode worst episode ever which is a collection of six of the most notorious hollywood disasters that have ever been released like some of these are are infamous movies (laughs) And I figured we could probably be on the same page. So, I guess to start, I have two questions for you. Yes. Why do you want to fight with me? <laughs> and why did you pick this list, which I assume someday your husband would have eventually decided to do <laughs> You just wanted to deny him this? <laughs> no!
1: Okay, to answer your first question, <laughs> I have a reputation to uphold here. Paxton said whenever he wants to... You know, hear a good fight. He just turns on one of my podcasts with okay. you. So I have a reputation. Yeah. And, I, and I'd like to uphold that. And you know what? I do like a good scrap. It's They're fun. <laughs> um, and.
0: Uh, so even if we agree, we'll have to disagree about how we agree. Oh, yeah. It's this, it sucks for different reasons. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so. and The second one. Why did I pick this one? Is that what? Yeah, oh, God. Um, it was because I actually remember liking several of the movies. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I, because I you said they those. were the worst, I was like, mm. well, But I, I liked those. I'm
0: putting the worst in the quotation marks, and they... They were not well-treated or received critically or financially when they first came up. Some of them have their own little cult status around them. Like, yeah. showgirls, there are people that enjoy to watch just because it's so bad it's good. And there are some people who will try and defend it for some sort of strange satire. Um, like, Battlefield Earth is this infamous thing. It's like, if you do a really bad movie, your Battlefield Earth thing is like... <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't matter how many good movies Joel Schumacher makes, he'll always be the guy who did Batman and Robin. <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: right? I was I was heartbroken. Heartbroken. I mean, Joel Schumacher did Lost Boys. Yeah. It's the, the, the first director name I ever remembered because I liked that movie so much. Yeah, yeah. But he sure did screw the pooch on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways...
0: But uh, I know your husband and I, we spent like a good portion of our youth instead of you know like going out and socializing and, and you know clubbing it with, the, with other people, well we would rent the worst movies we could possibly find and, and laugh at them sort of point and laugh. I think I'm a little less snooty about it. I'm not like, "Aha, you suck as much. Like having like, been in a few movies and made a movie, I know that it's hard work. <laughs> So I don't want to be this guy who's just like, you guys suck, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And I think this kind of would get boring if we're just going to sit here and talk for like two hours about how no. everybody's stupider than <laughs> I think it's fascinating because most of these are big budget movies too. When you have that much money and a premise that is halfway decent and you can afford the best people in business for your production... It would seem almost difficult to not make an at least okay movie to me, like, but they found a way. They did.
1: <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah, just breaks my heart the <laughs> most. Oh, <laughs> Whew. And, yeah, and
0: because of the infamy around them, it's like, or the. Properties that they're stepping on. There are people who feel passionately about Batman. I'm not really one of those people, but I can still feel the burn off of that, <laughs> right? Yep. There are people who are really big fans of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, as it exists as a graphic novel, right? Yeah. The movies, <laughs> not so much. Not so much. Yeah. So I mean, it's hard to separate, you know, the source material from the movie itself. But this is the sort of things I want to try and ask ourselves as we're going through the movie. Do we hate the movie because it's bad, or do we hate the movie because it's not the movie we want it to be? Is Batman and Robin a debacle because it was wrong of them to amp off of the 60s Batman, or was it a debacle because we were waiting patiently for Batman Begins and this wasn't fucking it?
1: Yeah. I had a lot of mixed feelings about all of that. I could see the brilliance in some pieces, and I was just like, but...
0: But we'll, we'll dig in and explore. Yeah. Um, is there anything you want to say by way of introduction before we start this year episode? Nope. of Ranking Review. The worst episode ever. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Well, here are six of the worst movies from my collection. Showgirls from Paul Verhoeven. The last time your husband was on the show, we discussed Basic Instinct. <laughs> uh, same director, same screenwriter. Different no. results. <laughs> Go figure. Oh, wow. Uh, Following that, we are going to talk about The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It ended both the career of its director and its star. Okay. Um, We have the hotly debated fourth installment of the Indiana Jones series from arguably one of the greatest living directors that we have, Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones, and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We have the infamous Batman and Robin from Joel Schumacher. We have what I like to refer to as Stallone's Blade. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cobra. If you, I know it's radio, not television, but if you picture the poster for for Cobra, just replace Blade <laughs> with. Oh <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Cobra. Wow. Yeah, that is. That's well, well, it's a good conversation that we will have. And we'll wrap this all up uh, with Battlefield Earth, and then I can finish my recruiting you into the world of Scientology. Okay. We'll get you an uh, e reader, and we'll test your Thetan level. And, uh, oh. We'll, <laughs> I'm sure I'm
1: going to be through the roof.
0: We're going to get you clear, <laughs> yeah. and we're going to get you superpowers. Nice. Let's do this. Yeah. You gonna
1: win? I'm gonna dance.
0: There's a spot open in the chorus line. We're auditioning tomorrow morning. I think you should try out. I got an audition! Okay, ladies, I got one interest here, and that's the show. I don't care whether you live or die. I wanna see you dance, and I wanna see you smile. I can't use you if you can't smile. I can't use you if you can't show. I can't use you if you can't sell. From the creators of Basic Instinct. The last time, they took you to the edge. This time, they're taking you all the way.
1: We take the cash, we cash the check,
0: we show them what they want to see. You got more natural talent when you dance than anybody I've ever seen. She's going down to the Stardust. She's going to be in the show. Right? If someone gets in your
1: way, step on
0: them. Let's talk about titties, Susie. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> As uh, I mentioned in episode 88, I am a fan of the female form. I'm not going to say that I'm ashamed of that. Once upon a time, I watched this movie on VHS with your husband. And I remember I am In my mind, I coined it, maybe I didn't, but I told him that by the end of the movie, I had titty fatigue. I was actually tired of titty. Yes, that's what he
1: said (laughs) Well, we watched it this time.
0: Titty fatigue. Yeah. And like, I'm a heterosexual male, you know, like you'd think at a bare minimum if everything else wasn't working. At least the breasts would work for this nope. movie. No! <laughs> Too much! Too much! But as I said, or it knocked on a little bit at the, at the introduction, there's a little bit of revisionist history going on in Showgirls. There are people that say it's sort of like an Ed Wood movie where it's so bad that you can really get into enjoying watching it, which I disagree with. And there's the school <laughs> of thought that says, it's this kind of brilliant satire that went over the heads of people because it's about selling your soul to become famous. No! And it's like, listen, and yes, you, I, you obviously just answered my question with your no. Uh, I don't buy that either. No. I think that Showgirls is every bit the debacle that everyone says it is.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, oh. So, I have to say, just at the outset here... This actually has sentimental value to me, this movie. Okay. Yes. I was living in Calgary, and I had moved in with um, uh, a lesbian couple, and I told them I had never seen this movie. So they delighted in showing it to me. <laughs> They also got me to do other things for the first time, which we won't go into.
0: That's a different podcast. Yeah, totally.
1: So, I, I, I mean, I loved them, and because they loved this movie so much, you
0: wanted to love
1: it. I, I did at the time. I mean, I was what did I know? I was twenty. So, yeah, but uh, yeah. So there it is. That's, that's sort of where I'm coming from. So watching it again now, I was so sad. Right. <laughs> it just made me sad to, to really see how badly it was made. It's weird. Like the, the, the mistakes that were made. The... <laughs>
0: it's not that the movie is sleazy because it's an exploitation movie. And yeah. It's about strippers, so it's going to be sleazy. I go in saying okay this is a movie about strippers, say, that's fine. It's of course, it's how it's presented to you. Yep. It is yelling at you. The whole time you're watching this movie, it's just screaming at you, This is stri- Showgirls! I almost said Striptease, which was another movie that happened right around the same time. Yeah. But This is Showgirls! We rule! It's, it's directed like an action movie, and all of the characters are these impossible, asshole cartoons, <laughs> nobody to anchor to, <laughs> and the whole circus spins around Elizabeth Berkeley. Now... I didn't grow up with Saved by the Bell. I think I was either a little bit ahead of it or it just didn't air on a channel that I watched or something like this. So I didn't have any personal childhood connection to her. Yeah. So uh, I, I didn't really see it as her big, you know, I'm a big girl now party. And, and maybe if I had the sort of innocence connected to her, it would have been a bigger deal. But this was just an up and coming Hollywood actress who saw Sharon Stone finally hit it big by showing her vagina. So I'll do the same and I'll be the next Sharon Stone. That's twofold tragic because A, <coughs> I don't know if someone's keeping tabs on Elizabeth Berkeley right now, but she's not in the next big hot Hollywood release. But worse than that, I've seen her in movies subsequently in smaller roles. And I will say, I don't think she sucks as an actress. I think she sucks in this movie. Oh yes. <laughs> but I think generally speaking, I don't think that she's without talent and this movie was something she will never recover from. Yeah,
1: what well- <laughs> Well, if she doesn't suck as an actress, then how did this end up so badly? Like, did the director just not let her act?
0: I think it was the approach, it's the over the top, the fact that everything had to be at 11. Oh. I think the fact that, like, every scene had to be super quick, every person had to yell, even when they're doing the aerobics and doing the workout routine. The aerobic instructor is right in her face with the count. One, two, three, four, like a drill sergeant. Like and the whole movie's like that. It's it's almost shot like a Sam Raimi movie. It's like it's pulling you through this grueling experience of a movie. It's like the requiem for a dream of stripper movies, right? Yeah. And everything gets jettisoned, including anything that would be sexy or suspenseful or entertaining. The style eats Everything it
1: does i it eats their souls of these characters <laughs> that truly do exist like they're there they're pete like their characters they're I can tell there's a lot there right. but it is just so superficial as to what it's showing that yelling yeah. that you're talking about, which is an interesting way of describing it. I was not. Yeah, I just, it was so, the acting was just so unbelievable yeah. for the most part. Except for, you know, the soft-spoken character, which did really well.
0: There's one character again in the whole movie. We haven't sort of really talked a lot about plot, but basically, <laughs> uh, Elizabeth Berkeley shows up in Vegas. She wants to make it big, which means going to a classy strip place. Because if you're not working at a classy strip place, you're basically prostituting yourself. And I guess we could, you know, be superficially engaged by a story of her corruption or, you know, she comes in all wide-eyed and innocent. But the script itself pulls the rug from that in the third act when we find out that she wasn't that. When she came into town, she already had a history of being arrested for drugs and prostitution and a bunch of other things. So this whole wide-eyed innocent routine was just that. There's there's nothing nothing to hang on to with this character. No. And her roommate, this bizarre friend that she makes, is one person that we're allowed to like. Yeah. Uh she gets brutally raped in the movie for your enjoyment. That's the one nice character. That's her punishment for existing in this sewer of a world? Yeah. Right. Um and I guess since it is infamous, we should maybe talk a little bit about the sex <laughs> in the movie. Oh my
1: god! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> the best comment I read on the internet was, oh my God, was his dick a blender? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a scene where she has sex with Calvin Lachlan in a swimming pool, which is so crazily over the top that I, it, it, it it seems like it should almost be deliberately funny. It would be like if this was a movie that was making fun of like erotic thrillers, And they did this scene with some bold actress who was willing to just go for it, right? Like, there's no way to take that seriously. But the scene that really kind of er eggs me out (laughs) is when she is made to, quote, audition for the classy club by giving a, uh, what do they call it, lap dance. Yeah. And uh, it's this really, really gross scene. Like. Again, it should be this really super hot, sexy scene, right? And I've got this like scrunchy face on, it, and I feel like I don't know if I should be watching this. And uh, it's not titillating. It's no. the what's the opposite of titillating? <laughs> <laughs> Repulsive. <laughs> yes, like. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I know what you mean. It. There was so.
0: I don't want to speak on your behalf. No, no, lady, no. No, no, day. no. I...
1: <laughs> yeah, the scrunchy face, right? <laughs> like, it was just kind of wrong. And what I remember of that scene in particular is just... It was a fuck you sex scene. And though that's never fun in real life, let alone seeing it on screen.
0: At some point, we were supposed to see her taking the power in the scene, like as she's. Oh, is that. that what it was? I think so. I'm not, <laughs> please don't, don't, don't accuse me me de- defending the movie. I'm saying I think that what was supposed to be happening there is Gina Gershon thought she was going to be humiliating her while making her do this lap or the slap yeah. dance, and then she does this quote amazing lap dance. And even though she's getting this guy off, she's like, "I fucking Gina Gershon" the whole time it's happening, right? So even though she's being humiliated, she's stealing all the power in the room but
1: no (laughs) no she is totally helpless and
0: exploited
1: yeah and (laughs) she can't if she was powerful she would have just said no and walked away
0: or not wanted this life that's the real thing like forget her checkered past or you know the fact that we find out her her dad killed her mom and all of this like terrible every bad thing that could have happened already happened to her so that's why the idea of being a stripper is this great rainbow dream right but why does she want this why does she want this so bad that she breaks a woman's hip and why once she gets it does she become this unbelievable (laughs) see what
1: i'm with you it's true that's exactly what i have written down she almost starts being likable almost and then
0: she gets what she wants and she's terrible she's just awful
1: i was just like wow you just suck and the thing and then at the end she just she thinks that she's found herself, right? But she's just restarting her own cycle.
0: The movie ends with her, although it's an act of vengeance, robbing a man at knife point. <laughs> yeah,
1: well. And
0: credits, right? Yeah. And off to the next adventure in her life. Please, showgirls two, showgirls too, which there actually is, believe it or not. No. I've not seen it, but there is a, a film called. Oh, show. That's
1: <laughs> unfortunate.
0: Um, Cal McLaughlin who is a person that I've said not nice things about in the past. I defended him in The Hidden, but he's one of these guys where I just... I don't understand why he's consistently getting work while other actors go hungry, you know? He said that after he saw the premiere screening of this movie, he distanced himself from it, and that he had no idea. He knew he was making an exploitive movie, but he had no idea just how awful (laughs) this movie really was going to be. It's like... He's been in some bad movies. He's been in other bad movies. But the one that hurts is Showgirls. Well, I've seen it twice. So I heard even... More. <laughs> if yeah. I do anyone a service, if there's somebody listening to this who still has a little bit of curiosity on their shoulders saying, I'm still kind of curious to see what all the fuss is about, don't do it, man. See,
1: and I would disagree with you there. Yeah, I think it's still watchable
0: it's watchable watchable you you don't think it earns a reputation in one of the worst movies ever it's just oh no i've seen worse yeah
1: i was see with this one that my my gauge for worst movies ever is if at any point oh my god is it over yet right you weren't looking at your watch i did not look at my watch
0: Verhoeven is pretty good for that. The -the -the over-the-top style usually works for him. He did, like, Robocop and Total Recall, right? Those work in that. Right, that that style helps (laughs) him there. And I didn't like Basic Instinct, but in the thriller template, it worked a little bit better. This is easily his worst movie. And I say that, and I haven't seen three of his movies, but I'm just going to stand by that. Um, is there anything else you want to say about Showgirls? Or oh, shall we put this one to bed?
1: Oh, I, Elizabeth Berkeley doesn't even know how to walk mad. I just... I was so... I'm like, wow. I was so at a loss when she was walking... She had to walk mad in mm, a bunch of mad. scenes. And I'm just like...
0: Well, she had to do it in heels. I couldn't walk mad in heels. Well,
1: no, but she's just... She had no strength in her posture or anything like that. And that's exactly what was missing, I think, throughout the, most of the movies. She was skinny, not fit to be doing that. Right. And I just as a... Um, watching her versus the actual dancers that they hired right it was so evident
0: that she should not be the star of the show yes right.
1: yeah and you know most of the other girls tits were better well again
0: <laughs> in, in defense of berkeley a little bit like i saw her in this independent film called the real blonde by tom DeSilla where she played a body double for madonna she was just, there's a madonna music video and she would dance and whatever um, and she has a couple scenes with Matthew Modine, who I think is a really good actor. Yes. And she holds her own. She's, I thought she was fine. So again, I really think that it was the style working against her and the fact that she was in the middle of this really, really crazy production. Uh, but I think the big revelation of this whole thing is that there was always something about her, even though I'd only seen her in two movies or something like, what is it about her? Cause like you say, there are much hotter women quote unquote out there. Like, why is this fascination? Her eyes are two different colors.
1: What? I didn't
0: notice. I noticed that this time. And I noticed it so much that I went back and looked at that scene from the real blonde, and her eyes are totally two different colors. Really? <laughs> it's weird, but I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing about, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Someone's gonna write me an angry letter and tell me that I'm fucking crazy. But uh, Larry says, either <laughs> maybe she's one of the lizard people. <laughs> I don't know.
1: I think it is time. Um,
0: are legendary. Their origins are unknown. Their methods are extreme. But when our future's at stake, they'll be the world's last hope. LXG, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So some of these bad movies, they have real fallout. Like I say, careers are affected. Uh, The director of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, who had made a pretty decent hit out of the first Blade movie, uh, Norrington, um, has said that he won't make another movie because of his experience here. Part of it was that there was studio interference. Oh, okay. On a basic level, they just got their mitts on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and fucked with it. For instance, Tom Sawyer, the CIA agent, who's sort of like the main player in this. (sighs) Nowhere to be found in the book. (laughs) They needed an American character or who would fucking watch the movie. Exactly. Right? That's exactly how I felt about
1: that character. See, and I haven't read any of the story of the mm-hmm. comics or anything like that, so I have nothing to base this on, but he was out of place. Yeah.
0: And, you know, uh, most of these stories are sort of like literature, right? Sort of the. They were, they were called from that side of the ocean, I think, for a specific tone. And because its author was... It was a specific reason that it was these characters. Yes. <laughs> so uh, it, it's basically a superhero team pulled out of literature. We have the Invisible Man. We have Captain Nemo. You know, We have yeah. Alan Quartermain. We have uh, Mina from uh, Dracula. She yep. is now a vampire and has all the powers of the dark. And, of course, we have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Dorian Gray. Yes. So, we're gonna to get together and make this sort of huge cyberpunk superhero movie. They offer it quarter main part to Sean Connery because though he may be wet past his best before date, the man is Sean fucking Connery. Yes. Right? And Sean Connery looks at this script and it makes no sense to him. But the last two times he said no to scripts because it was gibberish to him. It was the Lord of the Rings being offered Gandalf. Oh, my God. And it was the Matrix being offered uh, the Larry Fishburne role. Yeah, Morpheus. Morpheus. He didn't understand the script, so he said no. And then, of course, they became these two huge things. So he's not going to be fooled three times. Oh, no. He reads this script. He doesn't understand it. But damn it, we're going to do it. (laughs) We're going to make this one. Oh,
1: (laughs) oh, Sean. (laughs) Ah.
0: And it sucks. Like, Like... As much as he was a grumpy old fart, and as much as I believe all of the terrible stuff that you hear about him just completely gutting the director, not giving him any respect on set, and, you know, can taking it from both sides, the studio forcing shit that's wrecking his movie, and the star making every day a duel, like, um, the author of the comic book, Alan Moore, said that he wouldn't even watch another adaptation of one of his stories anymore and like he like so many people were so reamed by this movie that it ended careers so I guess to start I will ask Susie is it that bad it wasn't
1: that good but I don't think it was that bad but again didn't have any basis for it. Right. So, um, the fact that they had Alan Quartermain, I did a little research on that book because I, I, I knew the name, but apparently it's a horrible novel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a series of novels, and uh, I think it's of the vibe that is being amped in the Indiana Jones stories. Oh, right? well,
1: absolutely, but it's this character, this Alan Quartermain, is an asshole. <laughs> like deep down then he, here he's you know the whole sun thing that they incorporated yet yeah, that's yeah. part of the original story but that's not how he reacts to it <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, i think this is such a pretty movie it i think it is just gorgeous i love the actress that plays mina that right. i can't remember her name um, but she was in La Femme
0: Nikita uh, TV Peter show Peter Wilson yes Peter? Peter Wilson yeah um Well, I don't think it's as bad as everybody says it is. No. But it is bad. Yes. Like, this whole list is, like, worst episode ever, so we're judging Shade of Brown on shit here. Okay. Yes. So, I don't want to come off like I'm defending it, but it's interesting. I did an episode on uh, comic book movies with Brock not too long ago. Okay. And I talked about Blade that Stephen Norton also directed, and I kind of feel similar in this list here with this movie in that. It's going to rank a little bit higher on the list than I'm comfortable with. (laughs) Not because it's really good, but because the other ones are just that bad. Yeah. Well, Um, the special effects are pretty impressive at times. I kind of like what they were going for with the Jekyll and Hyde, even though they basically turned the psychological Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde into the Hulk. Like, he's basically just the Hulk. But I like that when he's the monster, in his reflection, he sees the doctor. And when he's the doctor, in his reflection, he sees the monster. I think that's like a cool angle that they went for. Yeah. I liked how badass Captain Nemo was.
1: I know. Love him (laughs) so much.
0: He didn't have a lot to say, but... He was, you understood why everyone respected him as captain of that ship. And yep. you believed that he was fucking badass. Yes. And when he's horrified about the people, seeing people kidnapped and taken away by the big villain, we can get into the plot if you want, but it's convoluted as
1: fuck. Yes. Well, that's <laughs> why my notes are, my notes are so skimpy because I, how can you follow that many plot twists when it just keeps happening and you haven't even caught up with the last one when the next one is there? Right.
0: If you know the stories, it's a little bit richer, right? Because Nemo's dedicated his life to sea because when he was on land, it all ended with his family being kidnapped and killed from him, right? So he builds this amazing machine, the Nautilus, so he can go into the ocean and never again deal with the land. Part of his thing is that he's like escaping something, right? And um, there were opportunities to do that. But here's the problem, and I'm going to come off super snobby here. What you need for that to work is a literate audience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, sorry, this <clears> is <throat> being a- this is aimed at like the teenage kids, right? Yeah. So they're gonna get all those Dorian Gray references, right? For sure. Right? No. <laughs> no. No. They are not. No, no they, are not. they are not. up on their quarter main. And no. their school name may will maybe not even have Huckleberry Finn because it uses the N-word.
1: Exactly. So, Honestly, these are... I mean, they'd never know who Alan Quartermain was because if you thought Huckleberry Finn was
0: back... Even if you haven't watched all of the Marvel movies, you can sit down and watch The Avengers because you know what? Everyone knows who the fucking Hulk is. Everyone knows who the Iron Man is. Uh What we have here is a cyberpunk Avengers where most of the characters' best before dates were like, at best, 1950-something.
1: Yeah, and yeah.
0: And that's a kind of cool concept on paper.
1: I love it. I love it. But I'm... <coughs> I wasn't a teenager when this came out. Mm-hmm. And I just liked it. i It was very pretty and it was fun if you didn't take it seriously. And with, with all the plot twists, I think it could have used a few less of those. Just a few. And... But
0: There's one special effects scene in particular. It's this ridiculous uh, race to stop a bomb in Venice. Yep. It, well, it's like it, it, you're in Venice, uh-huh. this, this, this sort of city of canals and architecture. So use that. No, we're going to do like a chase scene like we would in San Francisco. It would be like if you were going to San Francisco to shoot a movie about a heterosexual pedestrian. Right, that's not what San Francisco's for. <laughs> There's a bunch of hills and cliffs and cars bouncing off of. Like that's where you go to shoot car chases, and that's where you go to tell stories about the homosexual community. Right, that's what you. So if you're in Venice, use Venice. I just didn't understand this choice of making this like high-speed rocket pursuit through the streets of Venice. Just. It, it, it became kind of funny, like the absurd level. Oh, yes.
1: See, that's it. There's, it crosses that very quickly, that absurdity, but it did that so early on in the movie that it never came back for me, that I was just like, yeah, sure, that makes sense <laughs> at this point.
0: Uh, speaking of the people washed out of Lord of the Rings, Stuart Townsend, who was uh, Dorian Gray, and this was originally going to be uh, Aragorn in uh, Lord of the Rings. And they started shooting, and he'd done all this training with the sword. And Peter Jackson came to set one day, stroked his beard, and said, he's too young, let's see if we can get Vigo Mortensen. And the rest, as you say, is history. So again, to fall back on this, <laughs> I could have been Aragorn. <laughs> and I like Sean Connery, I do. He's one of these people that I would never want to meet, like they say they don't meet. People yeah, like yeah. I would rather just think that Sean Connery is super cool and badass. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> like... just, give,
1: give me, give me jam and sponge, Sean Connery,
0: and I'm good. <laughs> but I do think that he was past the point of being an action star for this. And it's hard not to, I don't know the man, but it's hard not to uh, think that that's part of what was pissing him off on set. Is that everything was going to be his stunt double. So all he was left with was this completely lame plot pushing dialogue. Yep. And uh, every time he... That he didn't understand. Yeah. So he would lash out at the director and make everything oh, worse. Oh,
1: it just sounds awful. <laughs> I had no idea of all of that. And oh, it made. Well, it just makes me feel bad for the man, really. So
0: if this is the movie you're making, you've already got an uphill battle with the amount of characters you have to introduce, the amount of plot you have to push, the amount of background and baggage everybody's bringing to this. There's no movie setting it up. And the studio's forcing new characters on you. And your star hates you. I think considering that, it's... League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is pretty good. Yes! <laughs> that said, on a given night, there is going to be something better to watch Yeah. than the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs>
1: See, this for me is one of those... Uh, put it on while I'm cleaning or vacuuming so yeah. I can see the pretty pictures. Yeah, put your
0: favorite album on even. You don't need the sound.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I just, uh, it's pretty. So I'm leave it on and go do my thing and, you know, watch a few bits and <laughs> here and there.
0: And this movie feels like we're parents coming to bail their kid out of jail. We're trying to explain to the officer that really, it's not his fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We fucked up. We're bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not you. It's it's, it's That's us. <laughs> it. That's really funny.
1: This ain't gonna be easy. Not as easy as it used to be.
0: was closer. (laughs) <laughs> in the image <journal>. I know <laughs> and uh, I like everybody else was pretty disappointed with the kingdom of the crystal skull yep and it's one of those things where like it's I hate it's not this bad but I, I I'm gonna make this comparison mm-hmm. it's like when I watched the phantom menace for the first time and the title scroll started at the beginning and they started talking about the trade blockage and the federation blocking trade for the planet and this like legal book, and right away, like, right away, I was like, that doesn't seem right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> One of the first things that we see in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is an incredibly CGI gopher, or ground squirrel, as it to be called in some places, sort of digging its head out of the sand uh, before this sort of car chase that interrupts and runs over the opening credits girls. And it's like you're Steven Spielberg, and this is the first shot Of the first Indiana Jones movie since 1989. And it's kind of wonky. Yep. And overall, the film is kind of wonky. But, but, and again, as I've already said in the previous episode, we're talking about bad movies on this list. Steven Spielberg is a good filmmaker. And there are very well-executed scenes of action. Yes. And there are very well-executed scenes where character beats are very charming. It gives you winks and whispers of those first three classic Indiana Jones movies. Yep. So where I end up with is that, like, I don't think that it's that this movie is terrible. I think that it's so much less good than the other three movies. That it seems terrible.
1: <laughs> I tend to agree with you on that. Um, I, at the very beginning, Harrison Ford, um, they had, and Kate Blanchett are having some doing something. She's threatening him, blah blah blah, and there's a voiceover that's not even Harrison Ford done with but it's supposed to be Indiana Jones speaking. That where it says you're not from around here, and it's clearly not Harrison Ford right. saying it. It told, like
0: it like, was like a last minute fix. Somebody yeah, plugged it in there. Yeah,
1: and it if that's how you're starting this movie. Yeah, like I mean, oh, I guess I blocked out the Gopher because yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's
0: one of the first things that I saw. It was very suggest- I see a lot of them, so I know what they're supposed to look like. Yeah. And it was like a close-up shot of it. It was just like, no, no. And why? And why? It didn't seem necessary. And it's also it's set up so that when, when we're jumping ahead, when uh, Indiana Jones survives a nuclear blast by hiding in a refrigerator, uh-huh. we see that same gopher sort of looking at the explosion from a distance. Yes. Like, it's a callback to that opening shot, that really awesome opening shot. Yeah. That's not the worst offense with animals, though. We'll get, to the, we'll get to that stuff later on. Basically, we are getting old indie, and some of the stuff that they did right is that they're not going to pretend that He's the, not old. That he's not an old man, and that he's not as limber with his adventuring He's still as sharp as he ever was and he thinks his way out of most of these situations But the days of him cutting a rope bridge and those minecart sequences are, are, are in his past And that's to the movie's benefit and they also move ahead a lot of people get mad about this sort of alien interdimensional stuff that comes here uh what to me because we shift ahead a decade hollywood's really obsessed with sci-fi so they're just sort of adjusting to that time period right we're no longer obsessed with uh nazis it's the cold war now right so yeah we're gonna deal with the russians right yeah and, uh, so like all of these are i think interesting choices they're just not fully realized Kate blanchett yeah. i think is amazing oh. I know she's such a great actress. Like I've said in the past, she could play Kermit the Frog in a biopic of Kermit the Frog, and you would believe it. Like yes. she is awesome. I <laughs> love
1: her so much. She's and they make her psychic. She's
0: flat. Yes, she's a flat villain, and you would never expect it. You would no. never expect it.
1: No, it felt really like everybody was like, okay, and we can insert this new concept here, and this one here with the psychic, with the aliens, with the all of it. It just felt so contrived that the, the story wasn't meant to hold those things. It's yeah. like they took pieces, like this is a really old script that they just took out this piece, put in this
0: piece. Yeah,
1: That's what it kind of felt like to me. It didn't quite, the puzzle didn't quite all fit together.
0: And David Kapp is the screenwriter, and he does a lot of uh, Steven Spielberg's sort of box office, uh, like spectacle movie scripts. He's sort of like Jurassic Parks and stuff like this. He's also a director in his own right, but um, I I think he takes a lot of heat for this. And um, I think that he was boxed in. There were certain sequences that were agreed upon that were going to be happening, like the grave robbing sequence, okay? We're going to have that. And the fact that it's a crystal skull and it's going to end with an alien ship, okay? We're going to have that. And all of these elements were put in his hands, and he was to build the screenplay out of it. And some of the pieces just don't fit yeah. as well as others, but I don't know if that's as much David Kep's fault as him, like, just, this is the recipe that they gave me, so, like... Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have to pay lip service to the past constantly while spreading the seeds for this current plot and building this new world. And like I say, some of it's done well, some of it isn't. I like that we have Marion back
1: i do too i love
0: her she was always the best of the indie girls i hope she that, that was... doesn't seem to sound dismissive no <laughs> he had an indie girl in every movie <laughs> um, but I, she was clearly the best she was a little yeah. badass of them she was like yes. not grading in any way she was like she would go blow to blow drink for drink gag for gag with indies. so yeah we like her we like having her back yeah shia labeouf kind of a wild card <coughs>
1: No, right? I cannot think of Shia LaBeouf without it. thinking of just do it.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the, like the crazy persona, he seems to be consciously building himself. Like, yeah. It's like he wants to be the next Nicolas Cage. And I mean, other than the absurd wealth, I don't know why he would want to no, be I, I... Cage. <laughs> <laughs> but i got to say, there's a few moments with Skip that really worked for me. Yeah. I love the scene where he and Indy are being held captive and they bring him out and they're going to execute him and he reaches into his pocket and he grabs his comb and he combs his hair back. Yeah. And then he throws the comb away and says, all right, don't tell him nothing. <laughs> Basically asks them to execute him. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a great badass moment and you could see Indy really liking the kid in that moment, Yeah, right? exactly. And so like there was this like, oh, that was such a classic good Indian moment. Like I like that. But then there'd be a scene a little bit later on where it was the callback number where Indy's in some, some quicksand and he needs to grab this snake so that he can be pulled out of the quicksand, but he's scared of snakes, remember? From that other better movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark?
1: Yes, yes. But to their credit, he didn't grab the snake.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) you have to be told that the snake was a rope before he would grab it. Just tell me to grab the rope. Just tell me to grab the rope. Right. But it's a bit. It was a bit in the middle of the movie that stopped everything. And it was called that. Even stuff that was nice, like when he's sitting at his desk and he says it's a tough year. And I show the picture of Sean Connery, who was his dad in the third movie, and the picture of... um, Oh, I forget the actor's name, who was his sort of sidekick in the previous yeah. movies. Um, it's nice that they're acknowledging that not all the members of the band are in this movie, but we but honestly didn't need it. We just, no. we didn't need it.
1: Well, they brought Marion back, so they're mm-hmm. questioning all the other stuff. But my, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, that's, there's so much that it didn't need, like so much that could have been cut and it would have been better that actually made it fall apart instead of being glue. So, and like the gopher scene, like the snake, like the pictures, all of that stuff.
0: I find myself really questioning the animal stuff in this movie. The worst by a significant degree. And if I could cut one scene out of this movie, it's Shia LaBeouf swinging through the trees. First of all, he manages to swing on vines to catch up to Vehicles that are now racing through, yeah, a, a forest. Somehow, a forest <clears throat> that has a road through it. Yeah, <laughs> don't think about it. Right, Fine, whatever. <laughs> but he catches up with the swinging on vines like Tarzan, and a big group of monkeys that he happens to pass by just join him and then attack the bad guys with him. It's one of the things that is so like obviously stupid that like even while they were shooting it, everybody had to know like I oh, don't no, this ain't making the move Right? This isn't like we're yeah. not really doing this, and these—they're not particularly well animated. Like they're Jumanji monkeys. Right? Yeah. And then there's this scene with these ants, this uh, colony of ants. That it's true. There's places like an Amazon jungle where the most feared animal in there is not an anaconda, it's not a panther, it's ants. You stumble in the wrong patch of woods, and you're in for a miserable death. But you know what they don't do? <laughs> They don't, like, form towers to climb up to get you as you're dangling from a tree branch. And they don't carry your twitching body into a hole in the ground. Like, I know that these movies are silly, but, like, this come to a level, like, that you'd see maybe in an animated feature. Like
1: The, The ant things making towers, they do actually do that, not... To get to
0: hunt to people, though, but to get from point A to point B, but they might do something like that. But as Kate Brown's just dangling in the tree, do you think they would try and do that to eat her?
1: No, they'd have gone up the tree, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right?
0: But like, again, conceptually, somebody thought that would be a cool sequence. So, work in a sequence with ants, David, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yep. what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. I think that it would have been adequate if they fell down one waterfall they fall down three consecutively bigger waterfalls. Mm-hmm. And again, it turns into the cartoon kind thing.
1: It's not possible. There's uh. so many that's not possible moments. There's just too many. Sure, all of the Indies have them. Yep. That's not possible.
0: For the people that get really vitriolic about the re- Indy in the refrigerator and then surviving the fall, I would ask everyone to take a really hard look at Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> Because Indiana Jones dies several times in that movie. But there's enough else working in that movie that we can allow ourselves the suspension of disbelief. Yeah, We're not as lost in the fantasy in 4 to let yeah. that shit go. Yeah, So I don't. So it does bother me. Yeah. I would have let go with just the explosion in the refrigerator. I rolled my eyes a little bit, but it was fine. But then the monkeys, and then the ants, and then, and then... And really culminating into what is has to be one of the most anticlimactic endings of any indie movie. Yeah. And then the ship disappeared and they were left stranded in the middle of the Amazon. <laughs> Credits. Yep. da da Da-da-da. Da-da-da. <laughs> so here's the good news, bad news. Fallout from movies. Shia LaBeouf spent his relationship with Steven Spielberg over this movie. Because when it came out, he heard all the, the, the bad press, and he acknowledged it. He said, quote, we dropped the ball on that one. And Steven Spielberg, who up until that point had gotten him a lot of gigs and been big, his biggest fanboy, saying he's you know the next Tom Hanks, he's the next great actor. Basically, he lost his relationship <laughs> with Spielberg over it. And now, all of these years later, with the nostalgia movie train well running, Spielberg has finally come to the conclusion that maybe everyone was right. Because believe it or not, Indiana Jones 6 is going into production early next year. No. I don't know if it's going to be Indiana Jones and the Cursed Wheelchair, because at this point, Harrison Ford is... Old as fuck?
1: Yes. He was old as
0: fuck for this. <laughs> and it's going to be almost 10 years old now. Oh. So no, no, no. The other fallout of this is that they're going to try and do one more because Spielberg wants to end it with the fans being happy. And The Force Awakens, you know, was a big win for Harrison Ford. He's been needing hits because he's in his 70s and he's not as bankable as he once was. So... Instead of just being able to count on opening, you know, whatever thriller you made this year because you're Harrison Ford, all of a sudden he's going back to Blade Runner. He's going back to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's going back to Indiana Jones. You
1: gotta do what you gotta do. I get why he's doing it.
0: Just make it better than this one, yep. I guess. We don't have to be all negative. Oh. We can say positive things. Yes, I know.
1: And one of my favorite parts in this movie is that Shia LaBeouf didn't scream like a girl
0: <laughs> he didn't scream like he a...
1: didn't scream like a girl and I was so shocked and happy at that moment I was like "Ooh, something I can believe
0: I was a little bit uncomfortable with him being positioned as the new indie <clears throat> and the whole revelation of him being his son I don't think was a surprise to yeah. anyone at any time but I'm going to defend LaBeouf a little bit I think that he did exactly what the part was asking him to exactly.
1: do. exactly i actually really liked him in the role yeah i did and i think he's a decent actor another thing so, that I,
0: I i could say positive is john hurt who plays xley the, the yes the professor who's gone crazy uh, but still manages to show them the way and you know, bring Indy and Marion together. It's the second movie I've reviewed with him, which is a largely wordless performance. Your husband and I reviewed him in Skeleton Key, where he was he didn't have anything to say, but he gave the best performance in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he quietly steals every scene he's in in this movie too. John Hurt, Rest in Peace, he recently passed away, but uh he was, yeah. Good cast. Yep. Yeah. Good cast, good direction. Like I say, some of yeah. those action scenes are solid, but Yeah. Yeah. Kill the heroes! The hockey team from hell! Cool party!
1: Arnold Schwarzenegger.
0: Alright everyone! Chill!
1: George Clooney. Julianne of the marrying kind. I know you've had your wild nights. Good night. Wild doesn't, doesn't quite cover it. Chris O'Donnell.
0: I want a car. Chicks dig the car.
1: This is why Superman works alone. Uma Thurman. So many people to kill. So little time. Alicia Silverstone. And you are? Batgirl. That's not awfully PC. What about Bat Person? Found the Batcave. She knows who we
0: are. Guess we'll just have to kill her. Yep. You're Joel Schumacher (laughs) Phil. Strength.
1: And courage. Partners. Honor.
0: Partners. And loyalty. partners. It all comes together. We're going to need a bigger cave. Batman and Robin. So you said that you're actually uh, okay with Joel Schumacher too. Uh, I like Joel Schumacher, uh, like you, it was one of the names that I started to recognize for movies that I liked when I was young. Mm-hmm. I remember I read the book, it was an adaptation, I think, of the screenplay, or... Maybe it was an original novel that Flatliners ended up being. Oh, yeah. And I heard that he was directing Flatliners, and I was not old enough to see that R rated movies yet, so I went with my mom to see Flatliners. She was kind of uncomfortable. I don't know if anyone's remembering that movie. but Oh, I remember not, that it's movie. It's not a great movie to watch with your mom when you're like 16.
1: No, I can see that. I watched it with my friends and my mom was in the room and she uh, made a comment that Kevin Bacon could eat crackers in her bed any day. Oh,
0: that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Again, then we go to things like Falling Down, which I thought is a really solid, you know, button-pushing thriller. And... Um, Movies that are sort of built around showpiece acting, like uh, the phone booth, or, or flawless, is it? That's Philip Seymour Hoffman playing a drag queen. Like he does a lot of different projects. Yeah. And he's prolific. Every year or two, there's another Joel Schumacher movie. They're not all great. Some of them are bad. But the man is a working director, and I I, I have respect for him. So, Batman and Robin. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Batman and Robin is Joel Schumacher's worst movie. I have to believe this. I haven't done all my due diligence. Oh, why would you I need... I have <laughs> to believe it. But we were talking in the previous review about like movies going like right away within the first few shots of the movie. You're like, I know. oh, I don't like this. Yeah, <laughs> like, no. The wilted angles... The, one of the first things we see is, like, the, the those suits with the nipples on it and, the, like, two close-ups of the bat butt going up. Oh, I like know. And suiting up for battle. And um, here's the thing. I'm going to be delicate about this. Joel Schumacher is, is a homosexual, and I don't know if that's going to play into his work. But I don't like using gay as a pejorative. No. But this movie is super gay.
1: Uh, you think so?
0: I, do you think am, am, Is that an unfair statement? Oh. Uh. <laughs>
1: I didn't think so because I didn't I didn't feel that you know no I didn't I I attributed I can see how it could be considered that but um it's more of a um
0: it's the colors are too bright yes the
1: like it just it's what it, it's uh, a bromance,
0: right? The movies oh. are bromance before romance are popular. We'll yep. give it a little bit of points for that. Yeah. <laughs> and they're trying to explore a reason why George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell would be hanging out and they're not having sex with each other, which couldn't be easier, okay?
1: I thought Chris O'Donnell was the epitome of cute at the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, yeah. This was the day we're having Chris O'Donnell and Alicia Silverstone in your movie was a helpful thing. Yes! This <laughs> was going to help your movie get made. The point is... <laughs> uh, I have this image in my head of Joel Schumacher in the middle of that opening production where Batman and Robin go to stop Dr. Freeze from Mm -hmm. stealing diamonds from the museum. And then they're going to say, okay, so we need glowing lights over here and we need some fog and we need a ramp of ice so when they swoop in on their skates and then Batman will come in and escape and whoosh through the scene and He's making it pretty, and he's making it goofy, and he's making it cartoony, but at this point, like, I have to think where we started with this cycle of Batman movies. Tim Burton's 1989 Batman. And for the time, that was Batman Begins. They were taking Batman dark and treating him as seriously as the box office crowd were going to be willing to accept him. And with each consecutive movie, they've stripped that away and stripped that away to this Nader moment, where it's become completely over-the-top bullshit <laughs> Yep. Yeah. and uh when i say that the movie is gay i mean uh, that's, that's, that's yeah like, i i know what you mean it's the aesthetic it's the aesthetic everything's rubbery the ice doesn't seem real yeah. everything seems designed to death but there's no love in it it's it's all about making it look pretty but not about making it feel like Something exciting.
1: I feel like it might actually exist, or it could be possible. It takes it to a level of where suspension of disbelief again is impossible. Impossible, you and I g- can't
0: take it seriously. And then all of a sudden, it starts asking you to take it seriously. Yeah,
1: and one of my big problems with this from the beginning was that they weren't discussing things like dialogue wasn't actually dialogue. It was just one liners. Zingers. Uh, yeah everything was just a one-liner and if you cobble it together it sounds like it might be a conversation because one character is speaking after another and back and forth but it's not a conversation yeah and that continues throughout the whole movie and i just couldn't i was just like ugh there's no depth here.
0: No, and I understand. Like you make a, you, you pick a choice. You you can go goofy Batman or you can go dark. And they definitely chose goofy. But then the script has things like Batman dealing with the incoming death of his best friend and father figure, right? I know. So how does that blend into the proceedings? I'm gonna say not very comfortably. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: No. Uh, Alfred is. St- even in this movie, Alfred is still my favorite. Michael yeah. Oh, I just love Alfred. In every Batman movie, he Alfred is, is my favorite. His scenes favorite. are
0: credible in a movie that have no credible S- scenes. Exactly. So.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> but I can't feel anything because, like, already with that opening sequence that I talk about, like I said, setting the tone really badly right bright and early Arnold Schwarzenegger walks into this movie. He's top billed, right? He's bigger than George Clooney, right? But this time, this is before he gives up Hollywood for politics. And uh, every single line that comes out of his mouth is terrible. Yes! Like, on the page, terrible. No actor could save it. But he's also giving these lines with such enthusiasm. It's like either all of a sudden Arnold Schwarzenegger is the most brilliant actor ever. Or he really didn't know how ridiculous this was all coming off. I'm gonna give a pass to Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think that the role is ridiculous. I think his dialogue is terrible, but you know what? I think he is delivering exactly what they used to I know. To be you know what I mean it's terrible. I, but he's delivering what was ordered.
1: If you want me to watch a comedy movie? <laughs> Clint Arnold Schwarzenegger in it because I like him. <laughs> I like how he's funny, <laughs> and he works in this because it just nothing else works. Uh, so I I, I, I hesitate. Uh, I
0: take issue with your word. He works in this, like. Okay, the movie doesn't work at all. It doesn't work at all. So <laughs> I'm saying that George Clooney. You can tell he hates every second that he's there. Like it's on his face. And he's not a bad actor, so it no. must have been really bad for him, right? Yep. To know that you're in the middle of this debacle. Because it's true, at the time being in the next Batman movie was a good thing for your career, right? Mm-hmm. Until this movie. The other person i we give conditional defense to, not once she becomes Poison Ivy. But the two scenes that she has before she's Poison Ivy, yep, I really like Uma Thurman. I know. <laughs> Once she becomes Poison Ivy, she's given the same terrible lines As that, ever. that 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 the other supervillain Doctor Freeze getting. Like everything she has to do is about poison or about plants, and everything he says is about cold. Like even when we see him in his lair, he's watching a movie about an ice cream man. Like it's just fucking nauseating.
1: Yes, and but and then it's. When it comes time for some of Frieza's weapons, they're rockets fueled by fire. (laughs) Like, you went through all of the trouble to do everything else ice. You couldn't find cold fusion or dry ice to launch this rocket.
0: Well, again, that's true. Everything you're saying is right, but... I try not to fight the plot on that level in these types of movies because it, the... it, it is a ludicrous world that we're playing in. Like, I'll, it'll take you back to But Bat- I
1: just want some consistency <laughs> in my ludicrousness. Yeah. Is that a word? Or
0: for it to g- it, it's because it gets too stupid. There's a scene going yeah. back to Batman Returns, the second one with Michelle Pfeiffer, where Batman's in his Batmobile and he turns on the monitor in the machine and a little electronic screen comes up and it shows pictures of penguins on the streets, giving the location of all the penguins in the city that are under attack at the point. And it was one of the stupidest scenes in a pretty stupid movie. And I remember thinking, oh, so he programmed the penguin arc just in case penguins someday attack Gotham. To me, Batman and Robin is an entire movie based on the premise of that gag. Yes! Because everything is so stupid that you can't even pick one thing to be mad.
1: Exactly, like that opening scene with the ice, and I'm like, so they just happen to have
0: ice skates in their boots, <laughs> yep. and
1: stylized hockey sticks?
0: And again, what? the glow paint must have been really in that, because <laughs> in the ice sequence, all of the, the, the flunkies and his you know minions have glow paint on in ice skates. And then later on, Poison Ivy and Bane, who we haven't even mentioned yet, um, clear out this Clubhouse of another gang that's wearing this weird glow paint makeup. It, well, what was that choice about? You know, we're gonna make this look pretty. and It's gotta be pretty, and it's gotta be fun, and it's gotta be the furthest thing from what we want our Batman movie to be.
1: Yeah, yeah. So when I when I had the realization that this was they were trying to update a version of that fifties Batman, mm-hmm. I. Felt so much relief because then I stopped
0: fighting it as much, fighting
1: it as much, and I was able to actually enjoy the really dumb one-liner lines, and I was able to enjoy um, some of it. I mean, they went way too far in some cases, and I still was brought out of it. But I, uh, yeah, that. <laughs> It was actually during uh, Uma Thurman's first monologue scene that I realized it. It clicked into uh, place. Yeah, yeah, because while I don't like Uma Thurman, she's a good actress. Yeah. She's a very good actress, and I know this. So that's when it hit me. What was going on with what he was trying. they were trying to make the movie feel like.
0: So... Well, and here's the thing, if, if that's what Schumacher was going for, and I, I think that he meant to be winking back to the 60s fun, but still making an exciting adventure movie, that's what I think. Yeah. Because if, if you wanted to say that he was intentionally making a bad movie, a quote-unquote bad movie in the spirit of the 60s thing, I would say, first of all, that's not as easy as it sounds to make. And second of all, if that's what he set out to do, he still failed. I know. Huge. He Because did. it wasn't. It, it it was really stupid, but it wasn't so stupid to in, enter the realm of kitsch, right? Yeah. It was just stupid enough to piss us off, not enough to make us laugh. Yeah. And it's two hours and ten minutes of that.
1: And this movie made me feel every single second. <laughs> in excruciating pain i just sort of laid there with my eyes open
0: watching why has it got to be like this yeah it didn't have to be like this. no
1: i kept pausing it to check how much time was left oh god that was only
0: five minutes there was a time where i could get excited about batman movies and i was a younger man and like i was the right age category when this came out and i wanted the batman to be good like I recognize the 1989 Batman has some problems. The print soundtrack is not aged fairly well. The tone is a little bit all over the place, but I think it it creates its own Batman world and it follows those rules. Yes. And as this movie, it's the last in the cycle, but it's supposed to be in that same world, and we have fallen so incredibly far that it's really heartbreaking. Yep. This movie is so bad that it's kind of amazing that they did manage to dust off the Batman brand so relatively quickly because you'd think there'd be more sting And on well.
1: It. And well. Yeah. When, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one, we've talked about how... I just There were so many players in it. So oh. many characters. And that was one of the things that struck me as like, okay... I don't even know what's going on. Like are we going to get back to any of these people? And what it felt like is that all the players were introduced in a very rushed and strobe like manner. Yeah. And I couldn't keep up with it. Like how is this all going to be tied together? Is it going to be tied together? What are they trying what story, whose story are they telling here? Yeah. So, because, yeah. That's a
0: good point. And it's a lesson that Schumacher fails to learn. Like, really, uh, Tim Burton failed to learn the lesson. Like, in the second movie, he did the same thing, right? Well, what do we want in the second movie? We want more. So we'll have Christopher Walken and the Catwoman as, as villains, right? And then and the Penguin, as, pardon me, as, as villains. And then uh, the next movie. Okay, well, we'll have the Riddler and we'll have Two-Face. In this movie, we're going to have Poison Ivy, and we're going to have Bane, and we're going to have Dr. Free, like, for fuck's sake. Just stop. Sometimes more is less, you guys.
1: One, this movie is chock full of biblical references. So many of them, all throughout Adam and Eve, Genesis, like, if you rewatch it, I'm sorry.
0: Um, <laughs> That's not going to happen soon. I know. I know. <laughs> Some I might do a Batman marathon, but the, until that day.
1: Yeah. And, but the line, let there be light. Um, everything, and it all comes from the villains. Mm-hmm. All of these biblical references. So, I mean, take that for but what Huma it's worth.
0: Goldsmith was, uh, unfortunately got the name on the screenplay there. And, uh, I mean, it was one of those high profile for hired jobs. And, you know, he, he tried to plug all those characters into that one movie, but no, the script was bad. Like, I yeah. can't defend him. I can't no. defend him. But maybe he put that stuff in there to try and, you know... There was something there. Like, yeah. he was
1: trying... Something was trying to be said there, but I was just in in a mix. The mess, it was just lost. Okay. Well, like, the carny you- smoke keyboard. <laughs> like... <laughs>
0: Well, for you, when, not if, but when I watch Batman and Robin again, I will look for a spiritual lesson. Yes! But uh, on the me revisiting this movie after all of these years, uh, I cannot find a really salient reason to recommend it. Um, I know you're a big fan of Chris O'Donnell, and I know that Alicia Silverstone had sort of this sort of hot phase in the 90s, and she has kind of an adorable crooked smile, but... I don't think either of them come off well.: No, they don't. I think George Clooney's trying, but uh, he's not meant to wear the cowl, and he knows it. it's on his face.:
1: Yeah, well this, um, the other thing that they did really freaking well in this movie is all of the body paint. I've been watching Skin Wars, because okay. <laughs> it's on Netflix, because yay, Netflix, and Kara watches it with me, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> who doesn't need to see boobs all the time? Huh? I'm and, pro-boob, that's, yeah, a, that's what Yeah, so, but uh, amazing, amazing job with all of that, because it can be done so badly,
0: well, I hope they had a blast with all that like, little makeup. and stuff. Yeah, but it wasn't just making that. I was the movie had fun, because the people watching it largely <laughs> haven't.
1: Yeah, and it was... Bill Corso was the body paint sort of expert, and he is heavily favored uh, by both Harrison Ford and Jim Carrey. Oh, wow. Yeah, he just, uh, just stunning work from that visual sp- perspective.
0: Well, and like I say, like I, I said all this shit. We've been talking shit for like 20 minutes on how bad this movie is. I defend Joel Schumacher. The action scenes may not be how I would handle them, but there's a clarity to them. I understand who is where in the room and and how the action's playing (laughs) out. Well, that's becoming a rare thing in some action movies. It's all so shaky and so we want to be born identity that you don't know what the fuck you're watching. Exactly. And I kind of miss movies that have at least some clarity to their action. It does have clarity to the action. It just doesn't have a story. Yeah. You know you have an attitude problem? Yeah, but it's just a little one. You think you would recognize me if you saw him again? The tall one? Yeah. The one that wants to kill you. Do what you have to do to get a lead on this maniac. And if I find him? Do what you do best. is Cobra, the strong arm of the law. I've spent a lot of time in the podcast talking about the 80s, and I've done two whole episodes dedicated to the crazy 80s, and it's amazing that this movie wasn't on the list, but I do think Cobra deserves to be on the worst episode ever. But it's guilty of a bunch of things. I think the most obvious is it's sort of killed by the ego that is clearly present in <laughs> Sylvester Alone. Well, yes. But it's also killed by this uh, thing where a movie wants to be now. It's going to be a movie that's of now, of its time, of today. So when you see that attitude of the 80s cops kill without remorse displayed unironically... And when you see Bridget Nielsen doing this unbelievably 80s fashion suit that looks absurd, frankly, by today's standards. It's interesting to think that when this came out, this was all incredibly cool. All, All of these guys wearing their sunglasses inside and leather jackets, banging axes together rhythmically in their spare time in some sort of obsessive compulsive organized hive mind blue man group type of way yep did not read a strange or absurd
1: see i was of the opinion that the sunglasses are what give him his
0: superpowers <laughs> <laughs> it, it's his mystery it's mary cobretti's mystery <laughs> <laughs> the sad thing is that if cobra could run for president He'd probably win today. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably be better. Yeah. Than, than... He would be better than what we have in the United States, but like, as far as his position that crime is the disease, I'm the killer. <laughs> Honestly, I think you could make uh, an episode dedicated to just fucking brutal Stallone movies. You could! Stop or your mom will shoot um fucking demolition man cobra i like demolition Um, man uh yeah it's got it's it's a weird movie but uh, what i'm saying is it's not it's not stallone's first debacle he he made he made judge dread well it
1: might be his first debacle
0: well uh, maybe this is the one that was first full-on like uh, i'm not a big fan of the Rambo franchise well i
1: i actually have never seen them that's how (laughs) not a fan i am
0: um but this is this makes does remind me of Wesley Snipes and Blade, because like Stallone, he's won his Oscar. Um, he couldn't be hotter. He wrote the screenplay for this movie and
1: uh, It's a Christmas movie. I thought it was a precursor to Die Hard, honestly. The
0: weapon it was very popular to have yeah. action movies set at Christmas in the eighties for some reason. But this whole thing where every time we see Sylvester Stallone he looks super, quote, hot within the uh, confines of the 80s. <sighs> he's got that fucking toothpick sticking out of his mouth. No,
1: it's not a toothpick. It's a matchstick. It's retarded.
0: <laughs> yes. And that he needs to shave, and yet he never grows a beard <laughs> he's like, yep. He's always super, super attractive looking, and he's always giving these Crazy cheesy one liners, but yeah. there is no humor to it, there is no irony to it. The thing that makes Cobra absolutely astounding is that everybody is playing this fucking ludicrous movie completely straight. Yes, and it makes it absurd, but not even in a good way. For See,
1: me. and this for me was shockingly watchable. I was like, I laughed at a lot of things, but when I look through, I'm like, well, I'm mostly nitpicking because, but you know, like the model photo shoot with the robots, I was just sort of, the
0: robots,
1: I was just like. Wow.
0: This movie has, it doesn't have a jive-talking robot, but it has as close to a jive-talking robot as we've encountered.
1: Yeah, it's just... So when... Those things are just making me giggle, mm-hmm. right? So it becomes... It does get to this so absurd, it's funny for me. Because um, it's just... What were you doing? And I, I guess also because it is the 80s that I can lend it a lot of, give it a lot, I can be very generous with with what they were doing because they didn't know better yet.
0: <laughs> but it's so earnest. I've said it before, talking about like horror movies set in the 80s where people now emulate that style. Kind of, there's something sort of charming about those throwback horror movies. Whereas the action movies of the 80s, I don't find that charming. In fact, they kind of, <laughs> some of them leave a bad taste in my mouth as far as that... 80s cops kill without remorse. Not only do I murder my suspect, but I say something pithy before I do it type of murder. Like <laughs> the extreme approach taken to the like killing all of these criminals and how they're portrayed as this like insane cult. Like
1: insane cult of serial killers. <laughs> like there's I I looked up serial killers and you know what? They're mostly duos. Mm. They, there's no big cult. This just couldn't happen. <laughs> Somebody would grow a freaking conscience in there, and yeah, honestly, most of them had a woman as sort of the, the a partner, and you could really tell. Like, I looked at the photos of the top uh, twelve, no, top fifteen duos co- killers, and I was like.
0: Sometimes the wrong people meet each other. It's not just toxic to them. It's toxic for everyone.
1: Yeah, it's just...
0: Well, there's nothing credible in the movie. I can't believe any of the characters. I can't believe any of the characterizations. So we fall back on this 80s aesthetic. And again, I'm repeating myself here, but it feels like a movie made by, on, and for cocaine. (laughs) Like but Pepsi's a fine product. <laughs> <laughs> and, and product placement. So you're going to if you, if you're going to get a giggle out of like watching the third 80s saxophone montage in a <laughs> 15 minute cycle of the movie, you will get that. If you want to see not just the chemistry between uh Sylvester Stallone and Bridget Nielsen, but them both displaying their acting talents together in scenes like
1: like about ketchup
0: sparks are not flying here and they were together while they were making the movie it was really it's geely of its day in that way and that they couldn't be a higher profile couple in this fucking awful movie but i think that i think you're right that there is some people on the right day in the right mood could sort of get a sort of throwback. Oh my God, so bad. It's good. Fascinating catastrophe type of vibe.
1: Like as if you've wa- just watched Batman and Robin.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's still somehow an antidote because yes! here's one thing that it does right. It's got a vigorous pace and I believe it is... is the time? 87 minutes. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. One of the things that made a lot of these movies so punishing is that they're almost every one of them were at least a half an hour longer than they needed to be on top of being shitty, <laughs> right? Like if they cut took the half an hour out, it wouldn't have saved the movie, but it would have saved me a half an hour of my life. Meh. Cobra moves. Cobra moves. There's always going to be the next montage, the next... Unintentionally hilarious one liner. It was supposed to be cool when it came out. It's hysterical now. Yeah. So I kind of filed this one under in a similar place where I put movies like Southland Tales where <laughs> it's a bad movie but there's something oddly fascinating about it. Oh yeah. It. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I'm,
1: I'm with you on that one. It's, uh, I, there, oh, oh yeah. I could get into the nitpicky parts but overall I, I just, it was nice to be able to laugh and not look at the clock to see how long was left. Because I, I really, yeah, whew, I was pretty scarred from Batman and
0: Robin. At the risk of sounding like a liberal hippie whatnot, <laughs> I do find that mentality upsetting at this point, that, that we should be like, killing, just kill all criminals. Yeah, well, that is the only solution. There is no way we can arrest these people. To a man, they must be executed. And the size of this gang, like, like, what world is this? This is like an attack on Sultan Precinct 13 or the Warriors, like a world where the gangs have just taken over. When I saw how
1: many of these people just wanted to kill, because that's what they were getting out of it.
0: And they were willing to run into gunfire. You know, like the amount of crazy manic loyalty you'd have to like just run into a bullet?
1: Exactly. It makes it really that way that became over the top, like the the last, what was it, 15 minutes? (laughs) We're just like, okay. And, you know, when they say, oh, they attack and kill anyone. Well, then how come all of the victims we saw were pretty women? (laughs) How did they recruit?
0: And there's that one, oh yeah, that one girl who's the insider in the cops and who's giving away their position. It was like, what? What about that again? What about this gang speaks to you? Like, when uh, after work I put on a leather coat, go hang out in a steel mill and bang axes together. It's uh, really relaxing, <laughs> you know. Oh, and then we randomly kill people. This yeah.
1: is what we do. Well, but she's also one of the only other women. Yeah. In there, um, but like I said, that's. One of the things that actually worked for me is women are usually Resting. when when there's when there's duos, yeah. there's usually a woman involved. Whereas women aren't typically serial killers on their own. Right. In duos, they because they have that support. So that it really you fits. You are the right
0: person, all of your dreams can come true.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: it's sort of romantic. Yeah. Um, yeah, Just I, like <laughs> I feel like I'm already running out of things to say about Cobra. It's a dumb '80s shoot 'em up. I mean, yeah. if you're in the mood for that, I guess there it is. But like, it, I I'm embarrassed first alone watching this movie. Like, I, I I imagine if it was on TV and like he was in the room, I could see him getting visibly uncomfortable. Exactly,
1: <laughs> but you know, I will say that I was so very grateful. That he didn't talk the entire movie like I did the opening sequence, because I had to actually close With my eyes and turn my head and strain to understand what he was saying.
0: Well, that's the thing, it's the Stallone. Like arguably the climactic scene of two of his most favorite famous movies, Rocky and The First Blood. Climactic moment in Rocky, he yells, Does somebody in the crowd have no idea what he's saying? There's a dramatic speech that he gives at the end of First Blood about how he's a veteran and all that's happened to him is unfair and how he's been psychologically damaged. I assume that's what he's saying because he can't understand a fucking word and it's like the most important scene in the bloody movie, right? Yeah. (sighs) Uh, But I'm not gonna say that he's an untalented man. I mean, he, he's yeah. made his way in Hollywood. And yeah, he, he, he wrote Cobra. He also wrote Rocky. It won Best Picture of the Year I Was Born. And he's been making movies for decades. And who knows, maybe he's got another Cobra in him.
1: <laughs> when we attacked your planet, all your soldiers, all their advanced technology could only put up a measly nine-minute fight before they were exterminated, which is why man is an endangered species.
0: Scientology that's fine I, oh, I don't mean to be, sound super disrespectful but whatever your faith is I mean generally speaking I think that if you're going to build a movie around your belief or your faith or your whatever it is mm-hmm. usually it's going to turn toxic I think for every passion of the Christ which was a huge hit whatever you have to say about it mm-hmm. there's six saving Christmases or expelled where it just becomes, you know, doctrine movies, you know, preaching to the choir, boring, aggravating pablum. Yep. But if the founder of your religion is literally in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most published fiction, (laughs) he used to make his living getting paid by the word for these, you know, fantasy stories that he would make up. Mm -hmm. If you're going to build a science fiction epic, sort of, that Pays tribute to the head of your religion and sort of sets up some of the psychological tenets of your faith. The man's written thousands of books, literally. Mm -hmm. Pick a fucking better one. (laughs) If this was the best choice, and I'm not well-read on L. Ron Hubbard, I'm going to confess. If this was the best choice... And I will also have you note that uh, it was cut down. Apparently, originally, it was almost three hours. It was oh, cut God. Down, she, <sighs> dear God. This is what we see in Battlefield Earth. There's only the first third of the novel. No. It keeps going. That's why the movie doesn't really have an ending, per se. <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> so, anyway, here's Battlefield Earth. A bunch of aliens have conquered Earth centuries ago. In nine minutes. In nine minutes, as John Travolta privately brags. And uh, so we are all under the rule of these aliens, which can't abide our atmosphere, but they're taller than us, they're stronger than us, and they're strip-mining our planet for its... Oil. Gold. It's gold, that's right. Because Fort Knox becomes a big player in the, in the story later on. It gets stupider and stupider and stupider. There are pockets of surviving humans in the wild wild lands of british columbia and this is where i start getting angry drag your own shit through the mud if you thought it would be cool to wear this alien makeup and promote scientology through a sci-fi movie whatever travolta did you have to drag two perfectly adequate canadian actors into the mud with you barry pepper and kim Coates, (laughs) two long hard-working canadian character actor stalwarts finally get big meaty roles in a big budget hollywood production and irony of ironies it's this shit sandwich
1: i am so sorry i oh
0: god the humans want to rebel against the aliens they're quickly captured by the aliens they quickly escape the aliens they quickly learn all of our past knowledge in like 20 minutes the oh, all, yeah. entire history yeah decide to reorganize and assault and on first try, after literally centuries of being slaves, they turn the board around entirely, save the day. The end, great movie. Finished review. Click. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Shit. except every single part of it along the way is bungled. Yeah. The director, Roger Christian, works second unit and some special effects works near the Ridge Tridge of Star Wars. That's why he's here, that's why he has the job. And you can see him trying to make it Star Wars with some of these lilted angles and these wipes. That oh, my they God. To Would it have
1: from... them! to shoot a straight shot? I was just crying. I was like, I'm getting sick here. Come on, just hold the camera still and straight.
0: I just, like, I, I want to, like, just pretend it's a bunch of people, it's the first movie that they've ever made, and it's this adorable little guy with a tripod, but one of the legs are just a little bit off, and they didn't notice until, like, they were looking at the footage the next day, but no, they're making these conscious decisions, yeah. and they're all bad, and John Travolta, this isn't an ego film in the same way Cobra is, because no. I think in his mind, this is a sort of high-minded, important piece of science fiction. It is, Travolta sucks at playing villains. He just does. He does. There's nothing intimidating about him. There's nothing threatening about him. You don't believe that he's going to win in a fight, even though they go out of the way to show us again and again how powerful he is. I just don't buy it. I said similar things about him in that Punisher movie with Thomas Jane. He just, I wasn't scared of him. I'm not intimidated. It doesn't matter what the makeup is. There's no force behind it. He's I a teddy think, bear. I think that he's just a super nice guy in real life. Like, as much as, like, I may agree with him on nothing, I bet you I could drink a beer with a guy, and we could talk about movies, and it'd be great, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think he was meant to play a villain, right? He, He's meant to sort of play, I think, romantic leads, or, or, or you know... He's
1: good at that. Yeah.
0: So... But he hates planet Earth. And this is a character trait that I like. It reminds me of Ming the Merciless from uh, Flash Gordon, right? He's stuck working with these little people and he doesn't like it. And he's being punished, they make sure, because of something involving... Uh, a sender's
1: daughter. Yeah,
0: something heterosexual. For sure heterosexual happened. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's, So he's, part of his being put on this Earth planet is a punishment already. So when he starts losing to the Earth people, it's supposed to sting all the more, And we should revel in him twisting on the hook. And we don't. No. Barry no. Pepper and Kim Coates are both very good actors. They're trying the best they can to play these like, heroic roles, but it's a variation on the theme. We've seen this story over and over again and again. We know what the role of Barry Pepper is, its sort of to be the leader of the new society, and we know the role of the best friend character is to sacrifice his life for the greater good. But I don't feel anything when that explosion goes off and we lose one of our very main characters, most likable characters, and all of the aliens start suffocating in the environment, and evil is being vanquished, and a bright new day is being launched for humanity. I feel nothing. Nothing. Nothing other than a vague sense of gratitude that the credits are going to roll.
1: Exactly! (laughs) And it's just, oh, that happened. Huh. So it takes the humans an hour to take back the Earth after it took them. Nine minutes to lose it and now they have less. Yeah. Less weapons, less everything. So I presume the d- rest
0: of the book too will be that alien race, you know, realizing they lost contact with Earth, showing up to see what the fuck's going on and now all of a sudden they have a whole new basket of problems.
1: I thought they teleported to Well,
0: that's right. They did thank you. <laughs> they did they did infect the homeworld. So yeah. they, they, they did cover that base. So maybe while they were making the movie, they knew that they weren't going to get the sequel. They, somebody must have seen the writing on the wall because, uh, even while the movie was first coming out and being unreceived, Travolta had said, I still plan on making a sequel to this movie. People are going to find this movie. Like he really wanted, he, he believed in the product.
1: Yeah. Well, and uh, it's
0: got to be a special level of blinders on, you know,
1: special level of blinders. The uh, production company that financed this from Germany, bankrupt bankrupt couple years later, and they were sued because they overstated the budget of this movie by $31 million. (laughs) Whoops.
0: Somebody made some cash off of it. Some of them. Somebody did. It's hard. I mean, other than the Canadian actors, because, I mean, Kim Coates and Barry Pepper both landed on their feet, but I bet you this was more of a detriment to their career than a help, and at the time when they got cast, it might have felt like this could be something, right?
1: But... It's All of not. their American counterparts were her too. Everyone
0: else probably said no. Yeah. Even Force Whitaker. And I, I, I think Force Whitaker is a powerful actor. I know. But he cannot choke down this dialogue. No. Like he cannot make his character's sudden reversal really read credibly. Like.
1: It's so sad. <laughs> this whole movie.
0: <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. And This must be like the anti Scientology tool. Like, I, I picture the, you know, organization of Scientology trying to burn every copy of Battlefield at this point because it is like, this is what it's like to be a Scientologist is to take charge of your world and make it new again. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all being told with this completely mabby pamby, rusty, familiar template of a sci fi story.
1: That is so boring.
0: And I really do feel like they thought they could buy quality, right? This guy worked on the original Star Wars trilogy, so he knows how to make good sci-fi. We got that in the cover. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is an Academy Award-nominated actor, uh, and he's, at that time, not getting as much work as he should have. So let's throw some real talent into it. Say what you will about Barry Pepper and Kim Coates. They weren't going to be box office draws, but they hired good actors. They just didn't give them anything to do. No, at all.
1: Nothing. It's awful. It, it, it just...
0: Oh. Name a character, <sighs> any character played by a, quote, human in the film. I can't. <laughs> no <way>. Like... <laughs> it's like a one-off episode of Star Trek that would have been forgotten by the series creators. Or yeah. Like, I can imagine a commentary track said, oh, man, we were so out of ideas for this episode. I'm so sorry. It was yeah. this or a clip show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I... That's what happens when you've literally written thousands of sh- stories. At some point, it stops being about how can I make this next story interesting and it starts being about how can I get to the next story? And how you get to the next story is just by repeating yourself. Yeah. We haven't seen this specific set of ingredients but as far as a conqueror race overtaking everything in a small band of rebels penetrating their one weakness through self-sacrifice and then breaking open a brave new world we've seen that a lot so if you're going to give us that story you either have to dazzle us with effects like avatar which they don't or you have to come up with something some character or some story twist That we haven't seen before. Which, I hate to sound like a broken record, they didn't do. No.
1: I like John Travolta.
0: I want to like John Travolta. I just think uh, you got to be careful how you cast that guy.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's just... It's so... In Congress,
0: you seem genuinely sad. All the time. I I am
1: I am sad that I'm sad Was this that movie mean, exists.
0: Did I fly off the handle? <laughs> yes,
1: just so sad about this. I mean, they have like they're conquering worlds, but they can't automate mining. <laughs> what? Like it just it's there is nothing. That makes any sense to me. I don't know why people are scared of this guy. They certainly don't act scared of this guy. You know
0: why you don't understand this movie? It's the same reason I don't understand this movie. It's because the ghosts of aliens that were thrown into a volcano have clung to our spirit. And these creatures are what's causing all of our stress and anxiety. And until we clear our body of these ghosts, we're never going to make sense of the world. The moral of the story is, if you want it like Battlefield Earth, join Scientology. I,
1: I can't even, not <laughs> even imagine that one, they would endorse this.
0: It certainly doesn't make me want to run out and read the book. of the worst movies ever. Um, I, I hope that that wasn't too brutal for you. If you if you agree to do another list, we'll find something where we can we can say nice things. Okay. But here's the interesting thing about this episode. Like uh, I have a bunch of gauze and medical uh, <laughs> material upstairs so that I could you know. Reset my jaw and and (laughs) put some ice on the swelling after this terrible fight we were supposed to have. I know, we agreed
1: far (laughs) too much in this episode. I kept
0: on waiting for the movie to come where you say, Larry, you're full of shit, you know? Cobra's an amazing movie. How dare you, sir? How dare you? It was pretty good. (laughs) But, um, I'm curious. In a way, the bottom was tougher than the top for me, but, uh... What was your least favorite of these movies and why?
1: Without a doubt, (laughs) Batman and Robin. (laughs) I was... I I cannot... It was excruciating. When you feel every second of a movie and you can't turn it off because you promised a friend you'd do a podcast.
0: After a point, it really seems to just fucking dare you to keep watching. It. I
1: I couldn't even get there. It was just, you know, laying there like a limp chicken, just waiting for your head to be cut off. It was just like I'm I'm so glad that I have a projector in my bedroom so that I could just lay there and and watch in horror as this continued to try to tell a story.
0: Alas. Batman and Robin, making bottom of the worst, worst episode ever. All right, well, what's in fifth position?
1: Battlefield Earth.
0: <laughs> Strong showing for Battlefield Earth. <laughs> yeah, see,
1: when I watched Battlefield Earth first, I thought, for sure. Oh, hands down. Hands no down, <laughs> it was at the bottom. So when I watched Batman and Robin again, because I'd seen it before. Right. <laughs> and I really watched it. Yeah. I was so devastated by how awful it actually was. And I didn't know what frame of mind was I in when I saw it the first time. Was something else going on so that I didn't actually have to pay that much attention to the movie? But yeah, no, Battlefield Earth, because, well, what the hell was going on? <laughs>
0: Not a lot to cheer for in that movie. (laughs) Alright. Fourth position?
1: League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Now, I did like this movie. So, uh, when I first saw it, and just when you start really looking at the movie, just, it cracks and falls apart. (laughs) So, in my original mindset of watching this movie, it was fun and pretty, and I liked that a lot didn't save it on this showing though
0: right it does not aged well quote-unquote fair enough
1: next in the number three position is
0: showgirls oh look who's dancing their way to third place
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep because of that sentimental value it did get pushed up a little <laughs> i think <laughs> but uh and you know they're I remember it from that sentimental value, you know, it plays big for me. So, and that was still there, even watching it now. And, you know, Elizabeth Berkeley's lips. I mean, if I had a dick, I'd stick it in there. Like.
0: <laughs> you should have been a poet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, right.
1: And in number two, we have Cobra.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, very. Honestly, I was I. This was a little harder for me these last two. I wasn't sure, because <laughs> really? um, when I saw Cobra, I'm like, I, all of my notes are just nitpicky things. That it's just an '80s movie, and it genuinely made me laugh, like the fries needing a life preserver with all the ketchup she was <laughs> using. Like that genuinely made me laugh. Details. I know. So. <laughs> So, that's how Cobra got to number two, and which leaves me with Indiana Jones.
0: We're close, Susie. Unfortunately, we did not go six for six or zero for six, but no, I don't think that fight's going to come. I think that because we're dealing with movies that are bad, how they hit you on the day is basically where we're going to land on this, and some of these hit me better or worse for you on different days. We're on the same page where we're starting out, though. Batman and Robin is so clearly the worst. Of oh these my movies. god! It's one of those movies where it's like right away it's not good, and then it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And you know well before the halfway point of the movie that they're not going to pull this out. They're not going to salvage this by no. some amazing sequence or turn. In the like, this is just going to be what it is for two and almost a half fucking hours yeah. or whatever it was. It is a nightmare. It mm-hmm. is not so bad. It is good. It is no. just bad. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. I'm um, sorry, Schumacher, to throw you under the bus like that. And I know... I'm not sorry. I, I started that review trying to defend Schumacher, but it's just not a good movie. No. And yes, I mean, I guess the one incredible thing I can say is that it managed to out Battlefielder. Battlefield Earth. <laughs> like, I know, right? Wow. And like,
1: that is impressive on its own.
0: Right now, if someone said, Larry, we're going to execute... You, if you do not watch either Battlefield Earth or Batman or Battlefield Earth before they fucking finish, yeah, please, bring us to sign me up for some John Travolta. Yeah,
1: absolutely. At least, oh god.
0: But the heartbreaking thing is John Travolta in it. He seems to really be enjoying playing this big bad guy. You get the feeling like this whole huge epic science fiction movie is being built around him. He's producing it. He's selling the the word of his church, which he's very invested in, which he loves deeply. Like, it's a personal project for him. Which makes it sting all the more that it fucking sucks. (laughs) Sorry, but that's just how I feel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess I'm a suppressive person. (laughs) Um, But here's where we disagree, because all the way in fourth position... I put Cobra. I I think because of my like deep love of the 80s, I oh. I've seen a lot of movies like this that I enjoy more than I enjoy Cobra. I'm talking about the Commandos and the uh, you know Rod Deals and the Yeah, and I know. haven't
1: seen any of those. Those are not There
0: are so many other better 80s shoot 'em ups in this, but I will agree that there is something so unself aware about like how far Stallone is sticking his head up his own ass in this movie, that I can see someone finding it funny. Yeah. And the whole, like, anti-chemistry that is coming off of him and Bridget Nielsen, like, it, it does have, like, a cringy, curb enthusiasm sort of humor <laughs> side to it, where it's like, oh my god, I don't know if I should watch this or just hide under a chair. <laughs> so, I get it, but, Yeah. And then in third position, I put titty. I mean, uh, showgirls. (laughs) Here's the thing. It's uncommon, and maybe for good reason, maybe not, for a big studio and a somewhat serious director, and a somewhat serious cast, to make an exploitation movie. The 60s and 70s are gone. Part of it is that if you want to see exploitation, the internet has got you covered. Like, it just doesn't happen, but... It's sort of the same thing that people are attracted to horror movies to, you know? You'll see the monster, you'll see the violence that you're that is forbidden, that you're not supposed to see. And I think that there's something about this type of movie, not this particular one, that does have a weird draw to it. You don't want to see showgirls, but there's some guilty part of you that kind of <sighs> wants to see showgirls.
1: And you know what? You're not going to die. <laughs> and yes, that's Kyle McLaughlin's butt. And... <laughs> you
0: know you're gonna fall on one side or the other it it might be so bad it's good for you it was just bad for me and like I said wall-to-wall titty and I was bored so it's hard to endorse it but I guess somehow in this list it manages to get there this is the part where the nerds out there start to really fucking scream at their computer. Oh, out. yeah. Because all the way in second place, I'm putting the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Well, good. Part of it is the heroic effort that went into fighting all of the things that were working against this film happening. Like, this was <laughs> art through adversity, <laughs> okay? And I use the word art in quotation marks. And like we said in the review, this is this whole list is bad movies, Okay. I'm not saying that this is a good movie. I'm saying that given the mess that he was handled, there's some cool action to it. It's a pretty good looking movie in this list of six. I'm giving it second place, but you don't have to take it as an endorsement. Easily, and I knew this when we started the list. As soon as the list was made, Despite all of the hate that gets thrown at the fourth Indiana Jones movie, I do think it has some genuinely charming moments and some genuinely thrilling moments. It also has some genuinely stupid ones.
1: Yes, it does.
0: But the filmmaking and the writing and the execution is so much better than any of the other movies. Leaps and bounds that despite the CGI gopher and the stupid fucking monkeys and Indy in the refrigerator... Easily the best of these movies, and I won't even say avoid it. I will say it's the weakest Indiana Jones movie, but I still remain an Indiana Jones fan.
1: I felt the same way this time when I saw it as I did the first time I saw it in the theater. And it was, it's still an Indiana Jones movie to me. Like they didn't fuck it up that bad.
0: It. That it's I that couldn't
1: I, even keep it part of the franchise. feel joke
0: about pizza. Even when it's bad, it's still kind of good. Or sex. Yeah, sucks. yeah. Even when it's bad, it's still kind of good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yay. Ringing endorsement for Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones and the Kingdom <laughs> of the Crystal Skull. That was the best film that we reviewed this week. rank review. Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much, Susie. Is there anyone that you would like to say to the good people on the internet this day.
1: Oh. Watch other movies first.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like I would honestly say with the connoisseur of bad movies, like if you're a person that likes bad movies, you've probably already seen Showgirls and you've probably already seen Battlefield Earth. So that being said, I guess the recommend of this list would have to be Cobra to me. Yeah. That one might have slipped through the net of bad movie appreciation.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was an obscure one for me, because I'm not familiar with that genre. I mean...
0: Again, in the mid-80s, Cobra was everywhere, but it yeah. quickly disappeared. Because I like, was 10. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, I'm sure by 1990, it already looked ridiculous, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, it's 2017. It's far past ridiculous, but... Uh, yeah,
1: but even if you're a connoisseur of bad movies, just stay away from Batman and Robin. Oh my God! There's, a, there, <laughs> it's not salvageable even in that context.
0: There was no saving it. There was no saving it. Um, so hopefully, I didn't scare you away from doing future episodes of. <laughs> Absolutely not! I love it. <laughs> uh, we will see or hear from Susie once again. Um, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> So if you wanted to defend some of these movies, if you think that we were too hard or maybe not hard enough, you have a means of doing that. You can write me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Let me know what I got right. Let me know what I got wrong. Any feedback would be welcomed. That's it for this episode of Rank and Review. I'd like to thank you all very much for listening to my show, and I hope you continue to do so. I drop every other Wednesday.